trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. No, really, I'm glad you could join me today. It's such an interesting position to be in, commenting on uh, what's going on as the world kind of spirals into a really uncomfortable place. Now, I'm not going to suggest that, therefore, all is lost and we should just throw our hands in the air, run around screaming and, you know, essentially lose control. No, 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 that's that's not necessary. But, uh, you know, it's it's unnerving to be sitting on the front row as as history is being made and I've only had this sensation a couple of times in my life one of those times was it was at Bundy Ranch where there was just this overwhelming sense that okay something historical is taking place but the crazy part was I couldn't really tell is this for good is this for bad kind of got that same feeling today Nonetheless, we're going to explore a few of the things going on in our world as well as uh, things that you and I can do to greatly improve the world around us. Our program is brought to you by HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. And by the way, before I dive in, I just want to take a minute to, I want to thank you, the listener, first of all for for, for taking a chance, right? For clicking play, for tuning in, for for just giving me the opportunity to share some things with you. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I'm doing my best to try to get information out there that's empowering, that gets people to think, and, and more importantly, encourages them to stand up for what they know is right. Because this is one of those times where, you know, people who stand up, uh, they kind of get a target on their back. So not everybody's standing in line, right? Not everybody's clamoring, oh, oh, me, 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 I want to stand up. Because that's, that's what subjects you to cancel culture. That's, that's where you get hammered. That's where you get called names. But man, do we need people who can do this. And I, I so appreciate those of you who reach out to me and either send me articles or send me, you know, stories. Hey, have you seen this that's going on? I, I really do my best to try to find, you know, the best information that I can. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that misses, that, that I miss, that, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't pick up on in my day-to-day travels. So when you send it my way, I greatly appreciate it. And I especially appreciate those of you who reach out from time to time to offer words of encouragement. I never know. And I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, how big is my audience? I don't, I don't sit down and crunch the numbers on a daily basis. Now, there was a time when I used to do that. And then someone, I think it, it may have been T.K. Coleman at uh, the Foundation for Economic Education, pointed out, that's, uh, that's not the way to go about living your mission. It's, it's not based on numbers. In fact, what he described was maybe what you need to be focusing on is just simply do the very best you can for whoever has shown up. Okay, so anybody within the sound of my voice, I'm doing my very best for you, even if you're the only person who's listening. And if there's more than one person listening, you know, maybe if, if, if heaven forbid, I've got like five or six people that have tuned in, that's all the better. 
But my main concern is I want to give you information that informs, that enlightens, and hopefully inspires you to stand up and to to play the role that you need to play in whatever's going on. All right, with that, off my chest. Thanks for thanks for letting me get that out there. Let's talk about masking. Now, if you live in a place where masking is no longer a thing, this might be a moment to count yourself very fortunate. You may want to offer a prayer of thanksgiving <laughs> that you are not living in a place where, you know, people are constantly policing you about your mask. Got a great article here from Eugippius. This is a, a substack that I follow and I'm, I'm thinking that Eugippius is writing from either Europe or maybe possibly from Germany. Now, this is, this is relevant to me because I have a daughter who lives in Germany with her husband and kids. And, and I watch very closely to see what, what are their policies. Because uh, I can't think of a nice way to say it, so I'm just going to say it. Germany is definitely one of the more hardcore, repressive, masking, COVID, everyone will follow the rules kind of regimes. And this article from Eugippius says, look, masks are not a small thing. They're not sensible. They're not normal. They're ugly. They stink. Many of them are full of carcinogens, and they're ruining our kids and our lives. So it's time to stop. And specifically, reflections on mandates as the German Bundestag extends the rules for another six months. Eugippius says, last week, the Bundestag finally passed the Infection Protection Act drawn up by Karl Lauterbach and Marco Buschmann. By the time these latest regulations expire, it will have been around 1,100 days to flatten the curve. And there's no promise that will be done even then. The law primarily empowers the federal states in Germany to impose mask mandates during the winter tire season between October 1st and Easter. Now, at the end, there were some final insulting adjustments. The federal government withdrew the general mask mandates for airplanes in exchange for, in exchange for German-wide FFP2 masking requirements at healthcare clinics. Now, Eugippius says, look, we've been doing this for a very long time now. This is pretty much the only observation I have left in me. We've had two and a half years of recurring all-day masking regimens for school children. We've had two and a half years of masking in the hallways of our offices, but generally not at our desks. We've had two years of masking on the way to the toilet at the pub, but not at our tables. We've had two years of non-sealing FFP2 respirators instead of surgical masks. Although we've known since the beginning that SARS-2 is transmitted primarily via aerosols. We've had two and a half years of masks failing every natural experiment they've been put to. Two and a half years of masks serving as a pretense to ban protests. Two and a half years of social anxiety and unnecessary arguments with confrontational, terrified old people. Two and a half years of mandated social isolation and anonymity. And it's all been for nothing. Eugippius says the science following upon which we've embarked has been a curious experiment indeed. It amounts to an abdication of our own sense and reason in favor of some nebulous superordinate authority that is the only true source of knowledge about the world. For millions and millions of people, masks simply work even when they don't because the science says so. And the mandates are necessary to prevent infections even when they cannot because the science says so. Following the science has turned us into a society of dead-eyed zombie lunatics robbed of every last intellectual immune defense against absurdity. 
That might be the main reason that all of the policies ushered in under the banner of the science are so blatantly ineffective, irrational, and contrary to all evidence. Anything that makes sense doesn't need the science. People can be convinced of its importance in their own minds. More and more, Eugippius says, I cannot bear the masks. Their use is contrary to a normal and healthy social life. It'll prob- he says, I will probably leave mask-fetishing academia over this. That's how much I can't stand it. Wearing a mask is participating in an antisocial hygiene virus cult. Eugippius says, it's been devastating for me to watch older colleagues whose opinion and expertise I respect succumb to this irrational superstition. The mask is always donned with a slight embarrassed aversion of the eyes. If not enough people are wearing them, a few of the less mesmerized might opt out. The girls like brightly colored green and red masks. If only one of them is masked, another girl might don one in solidarity. The men in suits prefer the black ones, which they store in their breast jacket pockets with old receipts and pens. The old ladies have white masks they bought at their local pharmacy on the corner, which they wear outside and, for all I know, in the shower, too. But you're not allowed to ever mention any of this, or comment, comment rather, on how unbelievably stupid it all is. Masks are evil because they frame everyone as a potential vector of disease, and they force, force rather, the healthy to act as if they were sick. They're a reminder to keep several meters distance at all times, to sanitize your hands and to engage in all the other stupid pandemic liturgies that evaporated this summer during our very brief mask reprieve. Eugippius says masks are socially corrosive, and on top of that, they're ugly, they smell terrible, they're physically uncomfortable, and, biggest of ironies for an alleged hygiene project, their daily use and reuse is just disgusting, but none of this matters because science... So the point here is, this simply has to stop. And Eugippius says, look, I don't know how to do it, but it's very important. Community masking is not healthy. It's not hygienic. It's not safe. It's not reasonable. It's sick. It's profoundly sick. I'm tired of being forced to perform sickness. Wow. That's putting it right there on the line, but uh, I don't see a single thing that I disagree with in that assessment. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. You can check this out. If you haven't subscribed to the Eugippius Substack, yeah, you may want to do that. It's a pretty good little little uh, website. Lots of good information on a very regular basis. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a quick shout out here to Garage Door Pros located in St. George, Utah. You can check out their website at garagedoorproservices.com. And if you're looking for a local company to install, service, and repair garage doors, this is not just for St. George, but anywhere in the surrounding area, Colorado City, Arizona, Mesquite, Nevada, Cedar City, Utah, Yep, these are the guys you want to talk to. 435-525-2773 is their number. And they do commercial service as well as residential. Again, that's garagedoorproservices.com. I do appreciate them being a sponsor, and I would recommend them to you without any hesitation. 
You know, beneath all the politics and the social conflict, it helps to remember sometimes that what we're seeing here is actually just the, it's evidence of a bigger eternal struggle between light and darkness. One that's been going on, well, since long before we ever came on the scene. Now, Andrew Coy, writing for AmericanThinker.com, says, we live in a time of evil. And I know that uh, he's going to talk about this primarily in a, in a political sense, but I would ask you, don't get too caught up on the labels. Don't get caught up, well, it's Democrat evil, of course. The Republicans can do this too, but you got to look at the the inversion of how things that once were considered no, not just acceptable, but hey, this is normal or this is healthy for society. These are the things we're being told. No, no, no. We need to get rid of this. Well, we need in its place. Why well, we need, I don't know, more drag queen story hour or something like that. So listen to what uh, Andrew W. Coy says. He says, this is not just a time of political differences. This is not just a time of switching from Republican to Democrat. This is not just a time of moving from capitalist to socialist. And it's not just a time of rotating from conservative to liberal. This is not just a time of the pendulum swinging from make America great again and America first to a time of far left and globalist elites. All of this does not explain nor summarize what we've seen in the past two months or past two years, rather. What we have seen the last two years and especially for the last few months can only be explained in one word, evil, for this is a time of evil. Now, lest you think he's being melodramatic, let's look at some of the specific things he's, he's addressing here. Andrew Coy says, there should be no doubt of this in anyone's mind after the Biden speech in Philadelphia. Biden's speech was evil. He looked as if he was the keynote speaker at Dante's Inferno. Biden looked like he was giving a sermon supporting Baal. Biden looked part Hitler and part Nero in his sinister, bloody-minded speech, in which he called half of America enemies of the state. Imagine calling half of the American people an enemy to the homeland. Never has an American president declared war on half of the citizenry. But Biden did just that as he declared MAGA, American first, and all Trump supporters as enemies of the democ- of democracy, rather, as well as treasonous and seditious felons. This was perhaps the most evil speech ever given by a president in American history. Now, Andrew Coy asks the question, why would Biden refuse to protect our southern border? Why would Biden knowingly allow in fentanyl, human trafficking, cartels, and terrorists? Why would Biden allow child predators and unaccompanied minors to cross our borders? Why would Biden make it very clear to our enemies in China, Iran, and Russia that we will not fight for our borders and we are not a sovereign country? Why would the occupier of the White House display our weaknesses to friend and foe? Why would the placeholder of the White House purposely make America weaker militarily and economically? Why would Biden's FBI and Department of Justice cover up obvious felony crimes on Hunter Biden's laptop, yet search the bedroom of President Trump's teenage son? Why would the FBI and DOJ ignore the Fourth and Fifth Amendments in their illegal raid on President Trump's private home? Why would the FBI, CIA, NSA disregard all precedents, all laws, all tradition, the Constitution, and all common sense sense? 
in their illegal attacks on President Trump since he came down the golden escalators. Why has the FBI, CIA, NSA abused and misused the Patriot Act in their attack on Biden's political enemies? And why has the ACLU remained totally silent and mute as these these Third Reich tactics have been used on the American people? Why has the, the Biden FBI Justice Department carried out Stasi police raids, police state raids, rather, on many of President Trump's closest supporters? Why has law enforcement harassed, badgered, and even arrested Giuliani, Bannon, Roger Stone, Stephen Miller, and many others? Why is political dissent questioning the 2020 election outcome and First Amendment rights under siege? Why are the January 6th marchers still jailed without formal charges and bail being afforded to them? Why would blue state assemblies rise in standing ovations after they pass state laws making it legal to murder an unborn baby one day before the baby's natural birth? Why is it that blue state district attorneys release without bails violent criminals so they can prey on the innocent again? Why would the Biden regime close churches, schools, and synagogues but keep open liquor stores, hemp shops, and needle exchanges? Why would the military put on drag queen shows at taxpayer expense? Why would Biden and the far left push for legalizing the mutilating of minor children with life-altering and irreversible sex changes? Why would the deep state believe that when it comes to sex changes for minors, age is not a factor? Why would public schools allow for drag queens to read pornography to children during story time? Why would the Biden regime purposely cut off the supply of energy to the American people? Why would the deep state create an energy shortage? Why would the deep state purposely shrink America's food supply? Why would the Biden administration allow China to buy up American farmland? Why would the far left create policies that drive up the cost of gasoline? Why would Biden enact policies that create a 40-year inflationary high? Why would Biden and General Milley remove Christians, conservatives, and constitutionalists from our military? Why would Biden and the deep state make the American people and American soldiers take an experimental vaccine knowing that doing this is against the law? Why does the Biden administration turn, seemingly turn a blind eye toward pedophilia? Why does it appear that most Republicans in D.C. have remained suspiciously silent In the words of C.S. Lewis, why does the Republican establishment appear to be men without chests? Where's Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, and Mike Pence's opinion of Biden's speech from hell? Are they cowards, crooks, or compromised? Has the swamp blackmailed them? Has China bought them? One can only imagine what would have been the reaction from this macabre speech if the facts were reversed. What would have happened if President Trump gave a speech calling out Antifa, BLM, and the deep state employees as a danger to democracy and enemies of the state? Might the far-left media have called for a third impeachment of President Trump? Andrew Coy says the words on the side of the barn are changed overnight. Yeah, that's an Animal Farm reference. Yet we're threatened with prosecution and incarceration if we point this out. It's not a time for violence, he says. It's a time for courage. To repeat, this is not politics as usual. This is a very sinister time. The word evil can be used far too often in American language and lexicon. However, after the Biden dystopian 1984 speech in Philadelphia, he says the word evil has not been used near enough.
Now, I would ask just one small caution here. I agree with what Andrew Coy has been saying here. The only thing I would ask is use caution in applying that word evil. Use it to describe principles. Use it to describe ideas. Use it to describe actions. But I don't know that it's helpful if you use it simply to describe people. Okay, now people may hold to an evil idea. That does not necessarily make them evil people. Now, people can behave in ways that uh, would denote evil behavior. I guess what I'm saying is don't get too carried away with labeling people. Look at what they're doing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here for HSL Ammo and also for life-saving food. You can go to hslammo.com or lifesavingfood.com. Better still, I would encourage you to go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com and just click on my sponsor links. They're right there at the bottom of the show notes. Get you right in touch with those uh, those sponsors. You can do business with them. You can just, you know, call them up and tell them, hey, thanks for sponsoring the program. Let them know, though, that their message is reaching your ears. Very, very important that they know that they are, are reaching a good, strong audience. Well, when the president declares half the country to be enemies of the state, yeah, you know you're not in a very good place. And yet we saw this coming. With January 6th, and I I guess I'm going to stick my neck out here just a little bit and tell you, if this makes me a conspiracy theorist, so be it. You know, call me whatever makes you feel better. Lean into it. But it sure seems that what happened on January 6th was you had a lot of people, and I mean hundreds of thousands of people, who were very concerned that there may have been some uh, dishonesty, some cheating, and manipulation in the election of 2020. And frankly, I don't believe that this has been fairly heard in any court. I don't believe that, uh, yes, we have thoroughly adjudicated every complaint, every every concern that people had. No, they haven't. Most of the courts just, whoa, I don't want to touch that, sidestepped it, or on some technicality or another said, no, 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 we can't listen to that, or, or we don't have jurisdiction here. But to pretend that the idea is settled, no, it's not. And there's good reason why people have some very serious concerns about what happened in 2020. So when we get to January 6th, Congress is going to be certifying the vote of the Electoral College. There were a handful of people who showed up at the Capitol. And and by the way, Ray Epps, again, still considered no suspect or nothing suspicious about him. Ray Epps, the guy who the night before was talking about how we have to go to the Capitol, we have to go into the Capitol, was right there at the Capitol on January 6th, ordering people around, pointing to people, and and helping to coordinate uh, movements. And there was, in fact, a group of people who forced their way into the Capitol. Now, Again, the FBI and the Department of Justice will not answer questions as to, well, uh, were any of these people, you know, federal assets, you know, either informants or agents provocateur? They're not telling us. But here's what I think happened. Yes, 
There was a very small group of very well-trained, very organized people who forced their way into the Capitol. And there were others, I'll call them knuckleheads, who followed them in. So I'm not going to pretend there was no misbehavior, but I'm also not going to pretend that, oh, it was an insurrection and they were trying to overthrow our democracy, whatever the hell that means. No, there were some people who acted out. There were some people who acted out in a very highly efficient, well-trained, well-organized fashion. And yeah, I'm suggesting that it's very possible based on past history of government engaging in false flags and the FBI setting in motion plots that, oh, look, we stopped this plot that was threatening people. Wait, but you guys came up with it. Shh, shh, we stopped it. Yeah, after you came up with it. Same kind of thing. So I don't believe that the people who are being held, you know, without bail and in some cases without formal charges... I don't believe that they're insurrectionists. I don't believe they were a threat to our system of government. I do believe that they put the fear of God into a bunch of godless legislators that day. And that's why they're being held. That's why the political class can't let them. That's why they keep harping on. That's why when when we observed the anniversary of September 11th recently, Democrats were actually making comparisons. Well, you know, those were those were extremists that took down the Twin Towers and that blew up the Pentagon. And yes, yes. And, and we're trying to tie them to the extremists that uh, apparently acted out on, on January 6th. But if you saw the media coverage of January 6th, and how could you not see it, right? It's, it's all they've been focused on, hyper-focused on now for the last year and a half. How could you not see that they would be targeting and trying to uh, broad brush everybody on the political right. That's exactly what's going on. And and, uh, I'm going to share with you this article from Julie Kelly from uh, AmericanGreatness.com, AmGreatness.com. The regime's Operation MAGA Fascist gains ground. But Julie Kelly says the only good news is that Joe Biden and the ruling class have a lousy track record at winning wars. I think of all the sources that I could point you toward as far as giving you a good, factual account of what's going on, Julie Kelly is probably the top voice that I would, would encourage people to, to consider. Not saying she's perfect, but I'm saying she really takes the time to get this right. She says, after nearly two years of lies related to the events of January 6, 2021, the regime has finally admitted the truth. The widening legal dragnet to scoop up Donald Trump, his associates, and his voters has nothing to do with the four-hour disturbance on Capitol Hill that afternoon. It is rather a thus far successful crusade to criminalize wrong think about the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. A barrage of subpoenas issued recently by the Department of Justice, U.S. Attorney for District of Columbia Matthew Graves' office specifically, against Trump aides is not seeking information about the Capitol protest, but personal communications discussing what happened with the election and plans to fight the results. Graves wants records dating back to October 2020, constituting any evidence tending to show that there was fraud of any kind in or relating to the 2020 presidential election, or that uh, they used or relied upon to support uh, any claim of fraud in relation to the 2020 presidential election. 
Now, the targets have to produce correspondence detailing any strategies or options for ensuring the certification of Donald J. Trump. Graves is also demanding information about how Trump raised money from efforts to contest the 2020 election. And of course, this is what the January 6th hysteria has always been about, says Julie Kelly. As the chaos unfolded on January 6th, Joe Biden and his apparatchiks immediately denounced believers of the so-called big lie, the claim the election had been rigged, if not stolen, by powerful interests who wanted nothing more than to defeat Trump, and vowed revenge would come swiftly. Julie Kelly says the totalitarian company line is any suggestion that election fraud exists is tantamount to sedition. She wrote this on January 11th of 2021. Americans who dare doubt the results, a popular political sport for Democrats, by the way, over the past four years, are now vilified as insurrectionists, and plenty of our fellow countrymen want it punished accordingly. And oh, how their dreams have come true. Nearly 900 Americans face criminal charges for mostly nonviolent participation in the Capitol protest. Lives have been destroyed, even ended, as a result of this cruel, vengeful prosecution recently rebranded the Capitol Siege Investigation by Graves' office. The weapons used in the first war on terror, secret surveillance, invasive investigation, armed raids, torture, and political prisons, to name a few tactics, have been aimed at Trump supporters across the country in a show of force and intimidation. Operation MAGA Fascist appears to be the commander-in-chief's unofficial name of the regime's war on terror against millions of Americans which is now reaching a version of the Battle of Fallujah, but without the bloodshed, let's hope. The unprecedented FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago on August 8th ratcheted up the fever of the war by a considerable measure, the regime's desired response. Political leaders and media figures over the weekend remembered 9-11 and equated that attack with the events of January 6th in another brazen comparison between murderous jihadists and Trump supporters. Bragging that the West won the first war on terror, Senator Mark Warner of Virginia Sunday urged Americans to unify in the same post-9-11 spirit to defeat the election deniers and the insurgency that took place on January 6th. Homeland Security Secretary uh, Alejandro Mayorkas warned on the 21st anniversary of 9-11 that anti-government domestic violence extremists now pose the greatest threat to the nation. Vice President Kamala Harris reminded Meet the Press host Chuck Todd that she's taken an oath to protect the country from all enemies, foreign and domestic, on numerous occasions. We know they can exist, and we must defend against it, Harris solemnly pledged. That's some pretty inflammatory rhetoric. We're going to come back to Julie Kelly's article here in just a few moments. And even yesterday, in fact, I think it was last night... There were uh, people saying, and I think it's been confirmed now, the FBI apparently tracked down Mike Lindell, who was on a hunting trip in Minnesota, surrounded his car at uh, like a Wendy's drive-thru, and confiscated his cell phone. I don't think they're going after him for being in the Capitol, but it sure sure looks like they're going after Trump's allies trying to build a case there. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Sharing a commentary from Julie Kelly from AmericanGreatness.com. It's actually AmGreatness.com. The regime's operation MAGA fascist gains ground. And they've been working on this ever since January 6th of 2021. Lots of inflammatory rhetoric, provably false. In fact, uh, going back to uh, Secretary Homeland uh, Security Secretary Mayorkas, Julie Kelly says Mayorkas could only point to three recent mass shootings perpetrated by lone gunmen with no ties to Donald Trump as alleged examples of the kind of uh, danger that extremism poses to the American public. But it does serve the purpose of fueling the raging political fire. Democrats want nothing more than for MAGA terrorists to become some kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Far from trying to prevent political violence, she says the Biden regime is turning up the slow, steady burn, hoping for an event they can label Insurrection 2.0 before the midterm elections. In fact, she says, look no further than Biden's laughable soul of the nation speech. Screaming from a set drenched in red light, Biden devoted much of his angry address to those who still won't support his ill-begotten presidency. Biden ranted from the stage at Philadelphia's Independence National Historic Park. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. He said MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution, do not believe in the rule of law, they do not recognize the will of the people, and refuse to accept the results of a free election. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Now, Julie Kelly says that uh, Biden claimed MAGA Republicans embrace anger, thrive on chaos, and live in the shadow of lies. Descriptions loaded with irony coming from an angry, inveterate liar who's thrown the nation into chaos. Without evidence, Biden further warned that MAGA Republicans have fanned the flames of political violence. Yet that's exactly what Democrats hope to see as a consequence of fixating on January 6th. In just the next few weeks, the January 6th Select Committee will hold another primetime performance as it threatens to compel testimony from Trump and former Vice President Michael Pence. Also, there will be the seditious conspiracy trial of several Oath Keepers, an alleged militia group involved in the Capitol protest. That's set to begin in Washington, D.C., and the committee's final report is set for an October 18th release, all to provide fodder once again to show how Trump's base is populated with insurrectionists who tried to overthrow democracy. Julie Kelly says now with the possibility that a third party will scrutinize the Justice Department's assertions that classified documents were illegally housed at Trump's residence, House Democrats suddenly announced that the National Archivist staffers told Congress the agency isn't certain it has all required presidential records. So will this result in another raid of Mar-a-Lago or Trump's summer residence in Bedminster, New Jersey? But the Moab in Operation MAGA Fascist will detonate after a D.C. grand jury working in secret with Biden's Justice Department hands down a criminal indictment against Donald Trump. It isn't a question of if that will happen, but when. Will Democrats drop the bomb before Election Day or after? After. 
And she asks, how long can they drag out, drag out the dramatics before their own base turns on them? Either way, the goal is to stoke a political uprising in much the same way that these interests accomplished what they wanted on January 6th of 2021. It follows a familiar pattern of name-calling, false accusations, and blatant cover-ups in the reckless pursuit of power. Now, the one upside is that Joe Biden and the ruling class have a lousy track record in winning wars. This may end the same, but for now, there's little doubt these bloodthirsty warmongers are gaining ground. I would recommend read the other items that she has written regarding January 6th, as well as the uh, the Whitmer kidnapping plot out of Minnesota as well. Or was it Michigan? It was Michigan. Julie Kelly is nothing short of a national treasure when it comes to uh, staying up on, on these events. And she's definitely one of the better informed voices that I like to turn to just to get a feel for what's going on. Okay, one final note to share with you. And, and that is, uh, you know, this attitude of we got to reject everything that came before us. That's like a badge of honor in today's culture. I've got a great article here from Jeff Minnick from intellectualtakeout.org. And it's about presentism. I don't know if that's a word that you're familiar with, but he's, uh, he's talking about it as a plague of presentism. I want to share this with you because I think this one's pretty relevant. Jeff Minnick says, Presentism. Now, there's an ugly duckling of a word. He says, my online dictionary defines presentism as uncritical adherence to present-day attitudes, especially the tendency to interpret past events in terms of modern values and concepts. Now, he says, to my surprise, the 40-year-old dictionary on my shelf also contains this eyesore of a word and definition. Now, generally, to be present is considered a virtue. It can mean everything from giving ourselves to the job at hand. No one wants a surgeon dreaming of his upcoming upcoming vacation to St. Croix while he's cracking open your chest to consoling a grieving friend. But Jeff Minnick says presentism is altogether different. It's a disease, a contagion here in America as infectious as the Wuhan flu. The latter spreads by way of a virus, the former through ignorance and puffed-up pride. Presentism is what inspires the afflicted to tear down the statues of such Americans as Washington, Jefferson, and Robert E. Lee for owning slaves without ever once asking why this was so or seeking to discover what these men thought of slavery. Presentism is why the Little House books and some of the early stories by Dr. Seuss are attacked or banned entirely. Presentism is the reason so many young people can name the Kardashians but can't tell you about Abraham Lincoln or why we fought in World War II. He says presentism accounts in large measure for our Mount Everest of debt and inflation. Those overseeing our nation's finances have refused to listen to warnings from the past, even the recent past, about the clear dangers of government creating trillions of dollars out of thin air. Presentism has led America into overseas adventures that have invariably come to a bad end. Afghanistan, for example has been known as the Graveyard of Empires, a cemetery which includes the tombstones of British and Russian ambitions. By our refusal to heed the lessons of that history and our botched withdrawal from Kabul, we dug our own grave alongside them. And he says presentism can kill. The manner in which our officials handled the COVID epidemic, for instance, 
ignored the wisdom of earlier ages which suffered far greater plagues, and instead, those in control ordered us into lockdowns, closed businesses, schools and churches, restricted travel, and ruined the economy and the supply chain, leaving the country broke and broken. The arrogant follow-the-science crew not only administered insufficiently tested vaccines, again ignoring past wisdom, but they commanded everyone to take the jab. Finally, he says, Presentism rejects old moral codes and mores with little thought as to why those codes and customs existed and where their banishment might lead. Marriage and family are no longer the foundation stones of society, and so the culture crumbles. Legalized abortion has led us to a place where a number of Americans favor abortion up to the moment of birth, a form of child sacrifice long condemned as barbarous by any civilized society. Kids who can't legally buy cigarettes or alcohol are permitted and in some cases encouraged to undergo pharmaceutical and surgical sex changes as our recent ancestors would have considered uh, that our recent ancestors would have considered barbaric and monstrous. They built a nation, but some in our time are busy building a new version of the island of Dr. Moreau. Unlike COVID, the flu, or even the common cold, the cure for presentism lies at hand, and it's called the past. Jeff Minnick says if Americans knew more about their history, their Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the wars we fought to keep our freedoms, the trials suffered by our country, and the liberty that requires constant vigilance, we would gain perspective on the present. And if our young people studied literature and art and culture, they would gain those tools necessary to keep many of the howling imbecilities of the current age at bay. The plays of Shakespeare, the short stories of Nathaniel Hawthorne, and even nursery rhymes of Mother Goose are just a th- three of a thousand resources that can put reins in a saddle on the galloping steed of our ignorant present. So, at the heart of presentism, he says, is pride, once regarded as the worst, most demonic of sins. So that's something that we're going to have to uh, learn to deal with. Jeff Minnick says a reckoning is on the way for those who advocate and practice presentism who shut their eyes and ears to the wisdom of their ancestors and who imagine themselves as gods and masters of the universe. This is The Brian Hyde Show.